Welcome to Stat Stories, a Stat Muse podcast. I'm Chad Shanks, marketing director for Stat Muse, better known as the idiot who was convicted for killing an emoji horse last year. And my name is Justin Kabatko, director of statistics at Stat Muse, and I am the idiot who created basketballreference.com. In this series, we're going to take an interesting stat-related discovery and dive deeper into it and tell the story behind the team, the player, the stat, or even the era that caught our interest. So this is our very first episode, Episode 1, The Phantom Nugget. So as I've been using StatMuse to search for different different basketball stats and going through to you know put out stuff on our social media accounts, our blog posts, and things like that, you discover some things that you know you didn't know that you weren't expecting. And you know everyone knows Will Chamberlain has the most points in a game. Everyone knows Kareem has the most points all time. There's just some things that any basketball fan's aware of. But as you get digging deep, some things pop up. And even as a longtime NBA fan and, you know, former NBA employee who is, you know, well-versed in, you know, the history of the game, there's still some things that pop up sometimes that surprise me. And I found going through for our blog post on searching historical stats, the name Alex English kept popping up. And I knew I knew Alex English the name, but if you had asked me to tell another thing about him, I don't know how far I could have gotten. I know now that he played for the Nuggets mostly and is considered Mr. Nugget, but I don't even know if I could have told you that because it was that foreign to me. But his name kept just popping up on all these searches, like um, alongside the greats of the 80s, you know, Jordan, Bird, uh, Magic, Kareem, like he was right up there with, with all of them and found that even he outscored all of them in the 80s. He was the leading scorer in the 1980s. And I know a lot about basketball. There are some that know more, but I bet there are more that, that know less. But I didn't know anything about Alex English. So I got to thinking, how could one player have stats of that nature, like these historically great stats, and he is just, for all intents and purposes, for the modern-day basketball fan, has just fallen through the cracks. And no one knows who he is. Am I, am I wrong about that? Is, it, is he more well-known than, than I'm aware of? No, I do, I do not think he's very well-known. Um, the, the typical NBA fan probably would not know much about him, if anything especially the younger fans. Uh, you really don't hear his name come up too often in discussions of the greatest players of all time. And, you know, they'll know guys like Magic and Bird and Jabbar, those names you mentioned. But a lot of them would probably draw a bank blank when it came to, to Alex English. And there are many reasons for that. Um, but if you just think, like, for example, how many times did you see the Nuggets play in the finals? Well, zero, because they've never been there. <laughs> exactly. So it's it's kind of, uh, you know, back then the, the finals were sort of the big thing. There was no big national cable contract. And so you didn't see games of the week, several games of the week like we have now. You might see the NBA like on a Saturday or two or a Sunday or two, and then you see the All-Star game maybe. And the playoffs would come around and, a lot of those were just televised locally. You wouldn't even see anything until the finals on national TV. And so, you know, very few people outside of the Denver area probably got to see English play. Yeah, well, they 
they were a perennial playoff team during his time there in the 80s. They even made it to the Western Conference Finals, but, you know, ran into the Showtime Lakers juggernaut and got eliminated and never, you know, got over that hump. But even then, he was an all-star, so people would have seen him in the all-star game. He did um, precursors to the modern slam dunk competition, which were just... You can find the videos on YouTube. They're terrible. Just really, really terrible. But, you know, at the time, it was it was new, and it was crazy, and it was the first slam dunk competitions, and they just aired during halftime of the those games of the weeks that they had on CBS. And, like, the biggest dunk that they would do is they would run and just jump from the, you know, the middle of the paint and dunk it with one hand, and that was, like, amazing. People, like, lost their shit over that. But looking back on it now, it's it's hard to it's hard to see how someone could have made that big of a contribution to the game and then been almost completely forgotten wait a second he was actually in a dunk contest he was in a dunk contest his rookie year this is the cbs slam dunk competition today you'll be watching mickey johnson a live quick forward from the chicago bulls who was such a big factor in the dramatic turnaround of that team and Nicky Johnson will be matched against a young rookie from the Milwaukee Bucks, a former All-American at the University of South Carolina, Alex English. Yeah, but he was in the dunk contest, which is kind of ironic because watching some of the old clips of his game, trying to learn a little bit more about him, dunking seemed like the furthest thing from his forte. Like, his game was built on that good old mid-range jump shot, you know, just pulling pulling up on the elbow and knocking it down or hitting, you know, some kind of, like, running floater. Like, his calling his game below the rim was maybe an understatement. Am I wrong? Well, so, I mean, I don't have really clear memories of Alex English playing in the 80s. I mean, I was a teenager then, but I have to admit, I probably didn't see him on TV more than a half dozen times. But yeah, the image I have in my head is this really tall, lanky guy, very skinny. I think he was like 6'7", 190. So he was he was not a bruiser by any means. And yeah, just kind of, you know, hanging out mid-range, hitting those, those 10 to 15 foot shots. And uh, yeah, not a guy I picture, you know, playing above the rim a la Michael Jordan or Dominique Wilkins or or Larry Nance or other guys from that era. Yeah, but but he did it well. I mean, it's it was his thing and he excelled at it. And, you know, so much so, like we said, that he was a leading scorer of the decade, that he, you know, ran together all these scoring streaks that hadn't been seen before at the time, which I'll let you go into a little more detail about. But you know, and even his team was successful, and his uh, the Nuggets from his tenure still have the highest scoring season on record by a team. Like they averaged 120 something points one season. That still stands today as the record for the most points scored by a team. So I mean, he was putting up legit numbers. Right. So a couple things there we should we should note. One is that um, he was a scorer. But he, I, I wouldn't necessarily say he was a, a, a gunner. I mean, he shot a lot, but he wasn't scoring 25 points per game and shooting 38% from the floor. I mean, the guy was a legitimate, efficient scorer. He averaged, you know, 25, 30 points a game, but he would shoot 50 plus percent from the field. He would shoot 80 plus percent from the free throw line. 
So it wasn't like he was just going out there and, and just, just getting points. I mean, he was getting his points in a very efficient way. And, and so that, that's obviously much more valuable than going out there and shooting 35 times a game. Um, the other point, though, about, you know, the Nuggets scoring all those points is they played at a crazy pace back then. Like the Nuggets during his era averaged something like 110 possessions per 48 minutes. Like if you think about the leading team now in terms of pace, it's the Kings. And I think they're just under 100 possessions per 48 minutes. But the Nuggets are like 10% higher than that for a period of about nine to 10 years. So that, that also tends to inflate your, your standard counting numbers like points, rebounds, assists, those sorts of things. So, I mean, I'm not trying to diminish his accomplishments, but they, there is some sort of inflation factor there. Well, what were those, the, the D'Antoni sons with Nash those years? Were they on par with, with those Nash sons that were just sprinting up and down the floor every year? I don't believe the Nash Suns were ever anywhere close to 110 possessions per 48 minutes. I mean, that's really an insane pace. I, in fact, I don't think, I think like over the last 25 years, so you're going back like to the early 90s, I don't think any teams played at a faster pace than something like 103 possessions per 48 minutes. Hmm. And, the, and the strange thing is Alex English, even back back then, had some extracurricular activities. You know, he never reached, you know, MJ's level of, you know, the endorsements or, you know, Magic's just shining personality. But Alex English was a movie star. I looked it up. He was in this this movie. <laughs> You're using that term. You're really giving a broad definition to that term, I think. No, but he, he was. He, he was in this, he was in one movie that I've heard of, which uh, was called Eddie, where Whoopi Goldberg became the coach of the New York Knicks. I don't remember much else about it, but he was in that movie playing the head coach of the Cleveland Cavaliers. And he only had one slightly bitchy line, but he nailed it. Now I'm afraid I have another announcement for you. John Bailey has resigned as head coach. So let me introduce you to our head coach for tonight. Miss Eddie Franklin! This is the greatest thing that's ever happened to me! And it didn't even happen to me! There's nothing in the rule book. You want a final protest? Be my guest. You're damn right I will. So, I mean, that was... as Whoopi Goldberg, man. That's, that's a big deal. But he was also a more featured player in a movie called Amazing Grace and Chuck in 1987. Here is the premise of this movie. A little leaguer named Chuck refuses to ever pitch again until nuclear weapons are disarmed. Basketball star Amazing Grace Smith follows the boy exam boy's example and starts a trend. So Alex English was the basketball star Amazing Grace Smith. The movie also starred William Peterson, pre-CSI fame, Jamie Lee Curtis, uh, pre-poop yogurt fame, Gregory Peck, um, who was well known as Atticus Finch by then, and even Red Arbach played himself. Gregory so, Finch was in this movie? Gregory Peck, Atticus or Finch. Gregory Peck, I'm sorry. Gregory Peck. Yeah, I don't yeah. know how old he was at this point, but I, I'm assuming he was getting on there. But the, So I couldn't find the actual movie to watch, but they have the trailer on Amazon, and it is incredible. Like, it looks... It looks it, if you just picture an 80s movie with this premise about a little leaguer saying he's not going to pitch until nuclear weapons are disarmed and just imagine how that would go, that's pretty much 
what it seems like. It began in a small town in America. It began in the heart of a young boy and in the faith of an amazing man. He gave up what he did best because of this idea. And I don't think he should be alone. A boy who took a stand. I wish I could say that I was more like you when I was your age. You stood up for your beliefs. That feels good. But this work we're doing, these negotiations, they're more important than those feelings. Get out of here! Chuck, ever since this whole thing started, there's something that I've been meaning to say to you. I'm real proud of you. Amazing Grace and Chuck. Maybe one day, the story will be true. So Alex English had had that going on, which, you know, this was in the 80s. I don't know how many NBA stars and players were actually in movies then but does it does that show that maybe in his time he was more well regarded than he is now because he he made all those all-star appearances and things like that did they know him more during his day than and he's just kind of faded as time has gone on is there anything to that theory i have no idea (laughs) i i don't know why he would have been been picked to appear in that movie i don't know if he had something in his background like some sort of uh uh, acting training or something? I, I don't know. Uh, I, he, also, would... he was also a poet. He has three books of poetry that were published, um, which I don't can't think of any other NBA player that's ever you know dabbled in poetry. Maybe, maybe if you Except count, Shaq, maybe if you count rap. Yeah, if rap is poetry, I mean there was Shaq Fu back in the day. So I guess the the main question that we want to get to is is why does someone like Alex English, how did he just fall through the cracks? And it's not just with the average fan who doesn't know anything about him. I mean, the NBA didn't even recognize him when they came out with that NBA um, top 50 list in the mid-90s. I mean, he wasn't even on it. And he was, um, at the time, I believe, still in the top 10 of all-time scoring list when the list came out. And they didn't even put him on it. They put Shaquille O'Neal on there, who was in like his third or fourth season at the time. And then years later, TNT even did an appendix to it, adding the next 10. And he didn't even make that. So he wasn't even considered in the top 60 players of all time. And when I go through that, the list of who actually did make that team there's a bunch of players i have no idea who they are let me tell you just a few of them and then you can school me by just um rattling off random facts about them like paul a reason arisen i think it's a reason a reason you heard of this guy yeah he's 50s played for the warriors i think philadelphia warriors all right that's justin one chad zero <laughs> dave debouchery Dave DeBusher. DeBusher? (laughs) Yes, he played for the Pistons and Knicks. And he also was a Major League Baseball pitcher at one time. And then he quit that to play in the NBA full-time. I would think that if there's you and maybe five other people who aren't related to him that can probably know that. All right, how about Hal Greer? Yes, he was an all-star guard with the Sixers in the 80s. So why, why is Hal Greer on this list but Alex English is not? I don't know. I'm not an expert on Hal Greer, um, so I can't answer that question. So, but just you know, going 
back to English and, you know, awards and honors aren't perfect representations of a player's career. But if you look at the awards and honors that English had during his career, you don't really find a whole lot. So, for example, all NBA teams. He only made three of them and they were all second team nods. So he never made first team all NBA, even, you know, despite all these all these. Uh, glowing statistics. He was only a, a second team All NBA choice three times, never first team. And in terms of like MVP votes, he never got higher than sixth in the voting. And I, I don't know that he ever got a first place vote. So, you know, the guys at the time who were watching him play every day and who were sort of judging him against his peers, I would say they had a, they had enough. They definitely had a positive opinion of him, a very positive opinion of him. But in terms of him being highly valued, I, I don't know that that was the case. And that, that doesn't necessarily mean that's right or wrong. Um, but I, I just don't see that at the time, the people who watched him held him in the same light as guys like Bird and Magic and Kareem and Jordan, etc. Yeah, but if he if he had won a title or two like those guys, yeah. would we then be saying that he's he's in the same breath? I would say no, because he was like, so, okay, Bird, Magic, Jordan, obviously those guys are just on a different level, but they weren't just great scorers. They were, or Magic's case, a great playmaker, but they, they were just all around really, really, really good players. English had some, some warts, definitely. He was a great scorer, obviously, but defensively, he was not a uh, juggernaut. He, um, so if you look at guys who played at least 400 games in the NBA and averaged 20 points per game. So, you know, like big time career scores. OK. And if you look at a stat, look at a stat called defensive rating, which is an attempt to estimate um, uh, a player's defensive ability in terms of points allowed per 100 possessions. All right. So I know what defensive rating is. Right, don't, but I'm just saying that pay, for the general for the audience me. out there who might not be familiar with it. Okay, fine. Go ahead. I think you're dumb, but not that dumb. So among those guys, so 400 games played, 20 points per game for their career, English has the second worst career defensive rating. The only guy who's worse is, you want to make a guess? James Harden. No, Mitch Richmond. Mitch Richmond. Mitch Richmond. Now, is see, I know Mitch Richmond. Like he was just elected to the Hall of Fame within the last few years. Why do I know Mitch Richmond but not Alex English? I think it's because Mitch Richmond was playing during the era when I collected basketball cards, and maybe Alex English is was already past that time, and so maybe that has something to do, like you said, with just the overall uh, cultural impact of the NBA. That Alex English just kind of missed that um, missed that explosion by. A couple of years but yeah it's you can't even you can't say that it's the not winning a title maybe that has something to do with it I mean if they got into the finals and he averaged 30 a game and won a title that way maybe you'd be talking about him a little bit more but I mean there's you can rattle off the list of players who never won a title even the ones that are on that NBA best 50 list, you know, Stockton, Malone, Barkley, Ewing, and all those guys, you know, with the exception of um, Malone, Alex English scored more than, than any of them, you know, but so it's just, 
it's crazy to think how far he has fallen through the cracks. But whenever my theory on why that is, is just going back and looking through the clips, which first of all, if you try to just search YouTube for clips of Alex English, they're slim to none in finding them, which is a kind of an indication of popularity in and of itself. But like we said, he did those mid-range jumpers. He did the you know, the floaters in the lane and stuff. And overall, like his highlight packages were the most boring highlight packages I've ever seen. Just inc incredibly boring and nothing exciting about it at all. And it wasn't just the under the rim thing because there were Allen Iverson played most of his game under the rim, but he was exciting as hell. You know, it was just kind of the the way he did it. It lacked that excitement that, you know, you know, even back then, whatever whatever kids watched, you know, their highlights on and cut their plays, you know, one of those NBA, uh, like, compilation video cassettes that they had, you know, for rent, like the Alex English plays of the year, wouldn't, wouldn't even make that because it was just him sitting at the elbow launching a jumper. And, of course, he made it and was really good at it, but it was so, so boring. And so I think that has kind of a lot to do with that. And he's even embraced it over the years. Like I saw this one quote from him that he did an interview with um, with the Nuggets official website. He said he was one of the biggest disappointments in his career was that he doesn't get those kind of accolades. He says, maybe because I'm quiet and not boisterous, my game was not slam dunks and three-point shots. It was a very simple game, but I played it with elegance and fun and I enjoyed it. So even he he recognizes, you know, his place and where, you know, where he is in the pantheon of the NBA greats and even says, you know, if he would have if he could have flown like Jordan or if he would have, you know, put on the show that Magic did, maybe we would be talking about him a little bit more. Yeah, maybe. I think I think you're underestimating how much the lack of a national TV presence really, really meant to the players at that time. So, yeah, you know the big-name players from that era. But the guys who are sort of the, the second-tier stars, you don't know much about, and I think that is because of TV. So here's a little side story, right? So it's the 1980 NBA Finals, Game 6. Sixers versus Lakers, games in Philadelphia. Sixers are down 3-2, so it's a deciding game for the Lakers. And Kareem is out with an ankle injury. So Magic Johnson's a rookie, and Paul Westhead, who was the Lakers coach at that time, he decides he's going to jump Magic at center for that game. So huge story, right? I mean, this is, today this would be like people would be going nuts on Twitter for a, for a story like this. I mean, they, they would be – it would just be crazy, okay? Well, it's a Friday night. CBS has the, has the broadcast rights, and Friday night's a big primetime night for them. And even though they're in reruns, they still get pretty good ratings from their shows. So two of their big shows on that time at that time on Friday night were Dukes of Hazard, the Dukes of Hazard, and Dallas. Well, they chose to show those two programs in reruns and then broadcast Game Six on tape delay to most of the country. Imagine that happening today. Imagine that happening today. Yeah, it's just crazy to even think that something like that was common. And they have the um the video you see all the time i forget which super bowl it was but whenever the super bowl was running long they just 
cut it and went into a um, whatever their regularly scheduled no, actually, show it was, was at the time. It wasn't the Super Bowl. It was a playoff game. It was a playoff it was, game. It was the Jets and Raiders. It was uh, the famous Heidi game, I think, because I think they were showing the movie. Yes, Heidi. yes, that's right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And they yeah. Just so, no, it wasn't the Super and went Bowl. went to Heidi, yeah. And actually, I don't even know that it was a playoff game. It may have just been a regular season game, but it, it did have an exciting finish that pretty much nobody saw because they cut away from it. Yeah, it's just crazy to think that something like that happened. It just shows how you know how much sports has just taken over the you know the cultural landscape and that you know someone like Alex English if he played today would probably get a lot more notoriety so who do you think who's the player that's playing today that maybe has the most similarities to English in his game okay so this one's really interesting because I actually happened to look this up so this isn't like you you, you didn't tell me before and you were going to ask me this but I actually looked this up before we had this because I, I thought it'd be something interesting to talk about. So I have a statistic that I call wins above replacement. So it's like when wins above replacement you see in baseball all the time, but it's just applied to basketball. And so what I like to do is like I like to take a certain number of seasons that a player had, take their, say, their top 10 seasons and see, okay, which other players historically have had top 10 seasons similar to this player's list of top 10 seasons. Okay. So I won't get into all the, the math details because they're boring, but so I did this for Alex English. I took English's 10 best seasons by wins above replacement. And I wanted to see, okay, which player in history had top 10 seasons that were most similar to English's top 10 seasons. The answer was Carmelo Anthony, which is like interesting on so many levels because it makes sense. Right. So first of all, You've got, you know, two guys who are primarily scorers, who have questionable uh, defensive statistics. I'm not going to question their um, effort, but <laughs> their statistics are not great on the defensive end. They played for the Denver Nuggets. You know, Eng English, or I'm sorry, uh, Anthony, of course, moved on to the Knicks, but he spent the first part of his career, a significant part of his career with the Nuggets. And so they have that, that in common. Uh, both small forwards. Both guys were perennial all-stars. I think English was named to eight straight all-star games in the 80s. So he was there every year, just like Anthony is there every year. So I don't know. I just find that really interesting that, that you know, sort of his his modern counterpart is Carmelo Anthony. And I think that's a really good, really good match for him. Yeah, but Carmelo is a household name. Carmelo has, you know, his own shoes. Carmelo, you know, has a famous wife and a media empire and all that kind of stuff. I mean, he's it just again shows how much things have changed that two, you know, two guys with similar, you know, on-court accomplishments can, you know, be perceived so differently. All right, so after all of this discussion, all of this debating, our final question that we need to answer is is Alex English truly a forgotten NBA great? Justin? He's forgotten. I, I don't know that I would consider it a travesty, though, that, that, he, that he is forgotten by the, by the modern fan. If we put it in context of, of modern players, take two players like Tony Parker and Tim Duncan, he's much closer to Tony Parker than he is to Tim Duncan. You know, Tony Parker has made five or six all-star games. He's been named to three or four all-NBA teams. But when the story of the Spurs is told 30, 40 years from now, Tim Duncan is going to be the first person that people bring up. People will remember Tim Duncan. Tony Parker won't be forgotten completely, but Tim Duncan will be a name that people will know. I'm not sure that Tony Parker's will be. Yeah, I definitely see 
the case against him, but I mean, the the guy got buckets in his day. You know, he he just scored the basketball, and how that has completely just gotten away from you know the collective memory of the average NBA fan is just it's just crazy to me. And he, I mean, he just seems to me like one of, or if not the most underrated player we've we've ever seen in the NBA. Um, I don't know. They know. I know that. ESPN is doing their countdown right now, their top 100 players, and he actually did make this list. They slotted him in at number 62. So he may not have made other lists in the past. He may not make, you know, Justin Kabatko's personal list, but at least he is he's getting some some love out there today. So I, I would I would have him in the top 100, but not the top 50. So I'd have him somewhere, you know, somewhere around where ESPN had him, I think is an appropriate ranking for him. Well, hopefully with all the millions of people who have tuned in and downloaded this first episode listening to it, it's going to just shed new light on Alex English. And because of the work we've done here today, Alex English will soon be a household name. So with that... Or not. Or not. Uh, you know, let's, uh, let's keep a positive outlook on this. I mean, we're changing the world here. So with that, we'll bring this to a close. Thank you very much for tuning in and listening uh, join us next time for our next episode with a topic to be determined, but we'll be searching StatMuse, trying to find something interesting that sticks out, and we'll, do, we'll dive right deep into it in the second episode of Stat Stories. 